Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. These first six weeks back, we're looking at um, kind of... um, things that the church needs to champion, not just our church, but all churches. Um, As we come out of a three-month quarantine, we're just kind of looking at those building blocks, those things that make the church um, important and make the church powerful. Um, So Luke chapter 14 will be in the last part of the chapter, 25 through 35. Um, I wear an Atlanta Braves hat pretty regularly. Um, uh, once or twice a week. It's just a regular navy blue hat with the white A on it. Um, however, I'm not really a follower of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, actually, a few months ago, I had to make a hospital visit in Macon, and I drove up there, and I was wearing that hat, and I went to a restaurant afterwards to eat lunch, and my server came out to me, and I'm sitting there like reading a theology book or something, like the nerd that I am, and, and he sees me, and he says, hey, I'm going to see him tonight. And I look up from my book like, huh? He said, I'm going to see him tonight. Who? The Braves. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, I haven't been to Turner Field. Or I haven't been to the new stadium yet. I, you know, I just kind of made small talk with him like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> but um, I'm not a follower of the Atlanta Braves. I was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I followed the Atlanta Braves at the time of Chipper Jones and Andrew Jones and uh, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, all those guys back in the glory days of the Atlanta Braves. Um, I think I know one player on the team today. Um, I honestly would follow them, but I don't really have time to. There's a lot more things I want to give my time to. Um, The Braves were really important to me when I was a kid, and I still wear the hat today, but I don't care about actually keeping up with them today. And I wonder if that can be said about some people's commitment to Christ. I wonder if that could be some of our stories in regarding to how we follow Christ. Um, Jesus has pretty strong words to say about commitment to him. And he does that in this passage of Luke 14. So I'm going to read that passage. Luke 14, 25-35. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? 
And if not, while the, others is, while the other is yet still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no good to use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. When I was in college, when I was home for the summers in my hometown, I worked at a retail store called Rule King. It's, it's sort of like Agri Supply out on, uh, in South Tifton, right off the interstate. Um, it, it's on it, they sell the same candy and everything, like it's almost the same store. Rule King has free popcorn you can eat when you get there. But aside from that, basically same store. Um, I was a cashier at Rule King, and when I worked there, people, it was probably at least once a day when I worked, people would come up to the counter with all their stuff in their, in their cart, or buggy, as y'all call them in South Georgia, um, in their cart, buggy, and they would take all those things out, they would put them on the little conveyor belt, and I would scan them. Beep, beep, beep. And the guy is always standing right there watching my computer to see every price that's coming up. And without fail, I would scan something, beep. That's not what that is. That's not how much that cost. Uh, it's a drill, so it rings up $129.99. Uh-uh, the shelf said it was $49.99. Okay, well, it's ringing up $129.99. Well, that's not what the shelf said. Okay, well, take me and show me. So I would go with him, he would lead me, um, not to the drill section, but to like the potato chip section. And he'd point to the shelf. You see right there, it was right there. See the price tag, $49.99. You mean next to the ruffles? And so I'd bend down and I'd look. Yeah, the fine print of that says that's not a drill, that's like something completely different. So what had happened was a customer had picked up that drill and had walked around the store and had decided in the potato chip section, actually, I don't think I need this drill. And so this guy assumed he could get a $70 discount because he found that there, right? Or I guess that'd be 100. I'm sorry, math is hard. Um, so he assumed he could get a discount, right? The, the shelf said something else. And I'd tell him, no, that drill is... I think I did math wrong. At whatever price it was, the point is, he's like, nope, I don't want it. So he'd leave, he'd walk away from me. He, 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 what was he upset about? Well, he was misinformed of what the cost was, what the cost of that drill was. And there's a cost of following Jesus. We will be stronger Christians in a stronger church when we know what that cost is. When we know what that cost is, we will know how much we're supposed to spend. If you were to call yourself a follower of Jesus, how would you know? Because you notice I didn't ask you how often you're at church. I didn't ask you if you were raised in a Christian home. I didn't ask you if at some point in your life you prayed a prayer, signed a card, walked an aisle, raised your hand while every head was bowed and every eye was closed. I asked you, are you currently following Jesus? Like, do you just wear the hat because you think it looks good? Or do you actually keep up with the team? It, it, does, does it just have some connection to your childhood, but honestly not much today? But, or, or do you actually go to the games right now? Or, or do you just wear the hat and, and not really care about it? 
You see, Jesus laid out the terms of what it means to be his disciple, what it means to follow him, and we just looked at that, and they are pretty strict things. A lot of times people will try to explain these things away because they're hard terms for following Jesus. So what are the terms? He defines what the relationship is supposed to look like. What are the terms? Well, there's kind of four of three of them, technically four of them. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Happy Father's Day. If you want to come to Jesus, you got to hate your father is what he says. But understand, Jesus is he's not teaching hate. Understand, in other places he says we're supposed to love our enemies, right? We're supposed to love our enemies. So he's not teaching to actually hate people. He's, he's, being, um, he's, he's explaining it in a dramatic way. He says that he's not just saying even that, that your love for Jesus has to be just a hair above all those other people. No, your love for Jesus, according to this, has to be exponentially greater than your love for anybody else in your life. Father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and yes, even yourself, because that's usually the person we love more than anybody. Think Michael Jordan versus a toddler playing with a Fisher-Price basketball hoop. That's to be the difference in your love for Jesus and your love for other people. I love my wife. She's the most incredible woman I know. I love my son. Being a dad's one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. But just to understand, if I love them more than I love Jesus, I will not love them properly, and I will destroy my soul. So, so just think, do you love anybody else more than you love Jesus? We really need to search our souls in this. I have to search my soul about this regularly. Because, you know, here in the South, we really value family, and that's awesome. Family's so important, and family, excuse me, family's wonderful. But often it's, we, we, we think the Christian thing is to really love our family and just give half-hearted lip service to Jesus. And that's out of order, according to this passage. You will never love your family appropriately if you love them more than you love Jesus. And, and according to Jesus here, you cannot be his disciple if you love anybody more than you love him. Now, you may not be, you cannot be. You cannot be his disciple is what he says. He says that three times in this passage. Verse 26, verse 27, verse 33. You cannot be my disciple. And then he says, verse 27, this is the second term. Whoever does not bear his own cross, come after me, cannot be my disciple. Understand the crowd Jesus is speaking to, they haven't seen Good Friday yet. They haven't seen Easter yet. But they know what a cross is. The Roman Empire used crosses all the time. That's the world they live in. The Roman Empire loved killing people on crosses. They had fun with it. There's actually stories of um, there's actually stories of times that the Roman Empire would literally line both sides of a road with crucified people all the way down. So think you drive off of Cromer Road, you turn onto Mount Zion Church Road, and and you drive all the way to JRWN, and all of Mount Zion Church Road on both sides are just crosses lining the whole way, and there's people hanging on them. These people knew what a cross was. Many people were crucified before Jesus. Many people would be crucified after Jesus. So what's Jesus saying here? 
If you want to be his disciple, you have to be crucified. Well, understand, he might be saying that you have to die physically for him, but he's definitely saying you have to die personally. You have to die personally. Understand that if you come to Jesus, you have to stop living for yourself. You have to stop living for yourself. It's no longer about your dreams, your goals, your ambitions, or your life. You're not the person you consult about your life anymore. Jesus is. Jesus has defined the relationship you must have with him. You must seek his kingdom and his righteousness and let all the other things be handled by him. You must be about advancing his kingdom and his cause in the world, not advancing yourself. Not making a name for yourself, not becoming rich and famous. No, none of that stuff should matter because remember, you're dead. Christ is now living through you. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by, the, by faith in the Son of God. If you're not willing to put your own life to death personally, Jesus says, you cannot be his disciple. Not you may not be, you cannot be. Then he talks about counting the cost, verses 28 through 30 counting the cost. He tells this story of a guy who sat down to build a tower, and, you know, he kind of went down to, you know, Lowe's and bought as many, as much wood as he could afford and brought it over and set it down, started building a tower and ran out of money and ran out of resources, and he just sits there with a half-completed tower. You know, some people used to be pretty faithful Christians. Um, some, of, some of us may be one of them. There was a time in our lives when Christ was really important to us, and that's no longer the case. Maybe it was when we were in college. Maybe it's before we got that promotion. Maybe it's before we retired, before we got married. Like, what happened to that? What happened to that Bible study we, we were leading? What happened to singing in the choir? What happened to helping with the youth group? What happened to reading the Bible every day? It's been collecting dust on the counter for, for seven years at this point. Like, what happened to that? Often, we have to be honest with ourselves, we haven't done a good job of teaching people to count the cost and consider what they're doing when they become Christians. Because this isn't just about, you know, praying a prayer and shaking a preacher's hand and, and being not go to hell forever. This is about putting ourselves to death and surrendering to King Jesus. He goes on to talk about that in just a minute. That's like one king surrendering to another king. Like it's surrendering to King Jesus, giving every bit of our life to him, following him from that point on. Understand, true followers of Jesus don't fizzle out. They don't build a foundation and then quit. They, they, they are with Jesus until the end. Remember, as we said, you're dead. Christ is living through us. Christ doesn't fizzle out. He doesn't. If you used to be really faithful toward Jesus, but now there's nothing there, come back to him. Come back. Come home. So he goes on to talk about those two kings. One king has 10,000 soldiers, one has 20,000. The 10,000 soldier king is going to come to war against the 20,000, um, and logically speaking, he's not going to win. Not even close. And he compares people that follow him to that. It's, it's a 10,000 soldier. We have 10,000 soldiers, he has 20,000. He's going to win the battle. So instead of fight him, we have to surrender to him. We have to surrender. 
It's not just a thing that, you know, we made our peace with God a long time ago. It's, it's un, making peace with God is not a half-hearted thing we did a long time ago. It's something we have done and it affects every bit of our life. And now we're, we, we, we surrender to him. We're part of his kingdom now. Our soldiers and us come with him, come join his kingdom. You see, one day the clouds are going to split open. And Jesus is going to come out, and if you haven't made peace with him, there will be no peace for you. There will be no peace for you. He's going to destroy you. Read Revelation 19. He comes back and birds eat the flesh of those who don't follow him. He's going to destroy those who don't surrender to him. You must send a delegation. You must ask for terms of peace. You must surrender your life to him. You must give up all your possessions to him. That's what he says in verse 33. Your translation may say you must sell all your possessions. Mine says you must denounce all your possessions. Same idea. It's just the thing that, you know, uh, they're no longer mine. They're his. He may call you to sell everything you have. He's done that to a few people in the past. But he absolutely calls you to let go of the allegiance to your possessions that they have over you. When Jesus returns, he's going to burn this world up with fire and create a new one. None of your possessions will last. All of it's going to get burned up. Your money will get burned up. Your house will get burned up. Your cars, your possessions, all of it's going to get destroyed. And if you know Jesus, in the midst of all that, you're still going to be standing but those possessions aren't. You see, we have a greater possession, a greater security, and a greater treasure. Jesus has suffered the punishment that I deserve, and now I'm 100% his and secure. I can never be plucked from his hand. You can't take that away from any of you if, you've, if you know him. That is, if you end up homeless one day, you still can't be plucked out of his hands. If, if your vehicle breaks down and you go into severe debt to get a new vehicle, you still can't be plucked out of his hands. If everyone you love in your life dies, you still can't be plucked out of his hand. If, if the United States is overrun with communism, he still won't have you plucked out of his hand. If you were diagnosed with cancer, he will not, you will not be plucked out of his hand. If you are imprisoned and beaten for your faith, you will not be plucked out of his hand. If you don't stop centering your life on your possessions and put your hope in a greater possession, Jesus says, verse 33, you cannot be his disciple. Now, you may not be, you cannot be. Hard terms. He then tells this parable about salt. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no good to use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's not even good for cow manure. It's thrown away. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, think about it in context. He's speaking to a large crowd. They aren't really following Jesus. They're just accompanying They're accompanying him, is what it says. They're just kind of going along with him. He's just finished speaking about commitment. So salt is commitment. There's a huge difference in people going along with Jesus and those who are actually following him. Jesus says that, that it's a narrow road. Those who find eternal life, it's a narrow road. What, why do you think Jesus says it's a narrow road that, that leads to eternal life? Well, 
something like three billion people in the world claim to be Christians of some form, whether that's Baptist or Eastern Orthodox or, or, or whatever, like three billion people in the world claim to be Christians, but it's a narrow road. Do you really think all three billion Christians are actually his disciples? You see, a good majority of them might actually be fans of Jesus. That is, they attend all the ball games, they paint themselves up, and they sing the fight song, but they never actually join the game and play. That they wear the hat, but they don't keep up with the team. Maybe that's some of us here. Understand, following Jesus is hard. We have a culture that says, you know, following God isn't hard. Man makes it hard. No, it's simple. It's a simple faith, as the song we sang said, but it, it's, it's got a cost to it. it it's hard. Th- throughout the Bible, Jesus has a lot of these speeches that he gives like this, where, where he kind of just sorts out those people who aren't really following him. He, he just um, says something really hard, so they'll just get out of here, is, w- is what he does. You know, you think of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, he says, hey, I'm a good guy. What do I got to do to enter eternal life? And Jesus tells him, look, you've got to keep this commandment and this one and this one and this one and this one. And the guy says, I've done it. I'm good. And Jesus says, no, actually, you need to sell everything you have, all the riches that hold your heart, and you need to come follow me. And the guy leaves. And Jesus doesn't chase him down and say, hey, I'm sorry my message was so harsh. Come on back. You don't have to do that. It's okay. No, he just lets the guy go. Go on. Or you think of John chapter 6, where Jesus has a big crowd following him. He's just fed the 5,000. They're coming after him again, not to follow him, but to get more free bread. And he says, look, you want to be my disciple? you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Very weird teaching. He's not being literal, but he's teaching a spiritual truth that they don't understand, and they leave him. They say, this is a hard teaching. I can't hear this. I don't want this. No free lunch is worth this. Jesus doesn't expect us to be perfect. He knows we're going to make mistakes. He he knows we're going to make a lot of mistakes. He knows we're going to trip and stumble as we follow him. But there's a big difference in following after Jesus and tripping and stumbling along the way, getting back up and keeping going, and Jesus going and us sitting here. There's a big difference in that. He expects us to be following him. He expects us to be committed to him. Following Jesus is hard. It requires you to put yourself completely to death and allow Jesus to have full control of your life. Complete control of your life. So Jesus concludes this section and he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As in, there's going to be some people who hear this and don't hear it. There's going to be some people who this goes in their ear, but they don't receive it. But there's going to be some who do receive it. So, uh, I've shared this passage with, with a lot of people before as I've been discipling them, and some have received it and they have loved it, and others have, have been kind of like those customers that I mentioned. That, that they feel like those customers. That they think the shelf said something else about what it means to follow Jesus. That, that um, I, I thought I only had to give $49, but you're telling me i got to give 130 Like, that's, that, that's not what I was told. M- maybe the item was in the wrong place. 
Because this is what the price is, Jesus says. You've you got to love him more than anything else. You've got you to put your life aside and let him live through you. And you've got to surrender to him. Jesus laid out that kind of relationship he wants to have with you. So we have two options. We can surrender everything to Jesus and allow him to have full control of our life. Or we can say no to him. We can say, we, we might even say, you know, I'll follow Jesus later. I'll do all this later. I'm going to live my life for another 20 years. Then when I'm getting old, I'll, I'll, I'll follow Jesus. But understand, answering later to Jesus is answering no to Jesus. It just is. There's no in-between with this. If you would say no to him, I want to ask you why. Would you rather try to live for yourself and fail miserably and, and, and be destroyed when Jesus returns? You, you do realize that in your sin you are an enemy against God's kingdom, right? What, what's holding you back? What, what is that thing in your life that, that is keeping you from surrendering to him? Is it your job? Is it a relationship? Is it your quest for more money? Is it your pride? You know, I wear a Braves hat every week, but I don't take time to follow the Braves. Don't let that be the case with your faith. If you don't surrender your life to Jesus, Jesus basically says you're wasting your life. If you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, you will save it. I conclude with what Jesus concludes with. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. I'm going to pray, and then Caleb's going to lead us in one more song. Um, actually, last week I said I was going to pray, and when I watched the video back, I didn't pray. So, um, so I'm going to pray. Let's pray now. Father, following Jesus is a narrow road. It is a hard road. Lord, it's easy to be saved and it's easy to receive Christ and have forgiveness of our sins, but to follow Jesus, that's, that's difficult. And you've laid out what that looks like. Lord, the sin in me cries out, I don't want to surrender my life to you. Lord, I, I don't want to love you more than I love myself. Lord, the sin in all of us cries that out. Lord, may we run from that sin and run to Christ and may we follow him faithfully every day. May we surrender every bit of our life to you, Lord. I pray for every person here that if there's a corner of their life that isn't yet devoted to Christ, that they would surrender that to him, that they would give their life to him. Lord, I pray for any here who don't know Jesus. I pray that they would surrender their life to Christ and receive him, for they will be destroyed if they don't. God, help us to be fully committed to you follow you, no turning back. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, again, this